Good morning. It is good to be with you. It is a blessing uh, to be together. It is a privilege, it is an opportunity for us, God's people, to assemble and to praise our Creator, to give Him the glory that He is so deserving to receive from us, and to encourage one another as we walk by faith here below on earth to live our lives to God's glory and to the cause of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessed opportunity it is for us to be here together. The gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is God's power. It is God's power to save and to save believers. And it is that same gospel that will unite us. It unites the saved into the fellowship of the Lord's family, into the fellowship of the Lord's church. Clearly, the New Testament, the gospel teaches and reveals that the church is the body of the saved. It is the body of those that have been born again. And that fellowship is precious. It is so very precious to God's Son because the church is His bride. A bride whom He loves so much that He died for her. He died for her that she may be cleansed and that she may be sanctified unto God. Now, as the New Testament apostles and prophets and teachers carried out the great commission, that is, as they carried out the preaching of that message, the good news of Jesus to all men, making disciples from among all nations, what we see is that the church... This fellowship, this family of God multiplied. And it multiplied as the Lord added daily to His church, to the body of born-again ones, those who were being saved. Now that same calling, that same great commission is still ongoing. That is, the gospel is supposed to be preached in every generation, as long as time continues. And the churches of Christ that are scattered in this world must face whatever challenges that come their way, and with a resolve to make sure they uphold and sound forth that truth, no matter what. When we read, particularly beginning in the early pages of the book of Acts, we see that in the first century, opposition, opposition to the cause of Christ, did not stop the spread of the gospel. And if you think about it, it almost appears to be that it fueled the spread of the gospel. That even more so, you find Christians are more zealous than ever before to their king and to his kingdom. And take, for example, the death of our brother Stephen in Acts chapter 7. With his death, what happened? Well, there was this great persecution that arose against the church, against God's people, against those that are saved in Jesus Christ. This great persecution was started there in the city of Jerusalem under the leadership of a devout Jew by the name of Saul. 
until you read about Stephen being stoned at the end of chapter 7, you read about Saul kind of, you know, fueling that persecution to the point that Christians scattered. They fled from Jerusalem and they fled throughout Judea, the region around the capital. And they fled even farther into Samaria, but as they did so, they preached the word of Christ. And it is that same persecution that caused some men to go as far as the city of Antioch in the country of Syria. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Open your New Testaments to Acts chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 19 through 30. And that's going to be our text for today. Acts 11, verse 19 through 30. So then... Those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. You know, that's back in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And so then, because of that, he says, They made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were some of them... Men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. Some versions may read Hellenists there. Speaking to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. That news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, and he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus and, and to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now, as we get into our text, I want to begin with this question. You know, what attributes, what characteristics made this congregate of Christians in Antioch such a thriving church, such a growing church? What made them so exceptional? What was unique about their qualities that we can glean about what we should be today? Well, first of all, as you go back and you look at our text this morning, beginning in there in verse 19 and verse 20, they were an evangelistic church. They were evangelistic. 
And so we see members of Christ preach the Lord Jesus. Why? Because they were convicted. They were convinced. They were persuaded that there was salvation in no other name but the Son of God. You know, they would, they would have, you know, some of these people that were scattered at Jerusalem would have heard the apostles preaching back in Acts chapter 2. When, when, when they, you know, as they proclaimed the truth about who Jesus was, that he is the Messiah, and as the Messiah, he is the king, and though they crucified him, but God raised him up, he now is at, at God's right hand, they would have been among that number when they said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain. That God has made him, has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. They would have been there. And they were convinced of that. They would have been convinced of what the apostle said in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 when he says, There is salvation in no other name. And so when they scattered out of Jerusalem because of persecution... It just made them that even more zealous to take the gospel farther to other lands, to other places. They were driven out of Jerusalem due to persecution. But these Christians would not be swayed. These Christians would not be stopped in taking God's power for salvation to lost souls. They understood That men and women were dying in their sins. Alienated from God without hope. They understood that. These are people, they love God. They love Jesus. They love the truth and they love their neighbor. And they understood that their neighbor was their fellow man in need. And what greater need did they have but... Jesus to save them. That was the greatest need that their fellow man had. So here you got these new Christians. They haven't been Christians very long. Driven out of a city where they are converted and they go preaching the gospel, the power of God to others. So the church in Antioch was an evangelistic church, but also she was a diverse church. Now these these men that had come up out of Jerusalem, scattered out of the city because of Persia, were probably Christians that had been converted out of Judaism. Of that early number, that that is the probability. But I want you to note something. I want you to note what their origin was. Where, where these men that were scattered after Jerusalem, who are now Christians, where did they originally come from? He says there in verse 20, that they, they were men of Cyprus. You know, now Cyprus is that island out in the Mediterranean Sea. That's where they're originally from. And he says, they also there were men from this northern coastal city of Cyrene in Libya. That's northern Africa. So if they, uh, these group of men that are, are particularly go to Annas as these men of Cyprus, that's where they originally they're from. And so they're far from their homelands. And these new Christians go not just to the Jews now. He says, you know, some were just going taking the gospel to the Jews. Verse, verse, uh, verse 19. But he says, but there were some of them, 
men of Cyprus and Cyrene, when they came to Antioch, they weren't just preaching the gospel to Jews. They were also preaching the gospel to people who were Hellenists. Here's people who were living according to the culture and the customs of the empire of Greece, the Greek influence. And so they take the gospel to them. And so the thing is, you know, while these men were traveling northward towards Syria, if you recall in the book of Acts, Philip was taking the gospel to Samaria. Peter was taking the gospel to the Gentile household of Cornelius over on, on the coast there in the city of Caesarea. And so what's going on here is you've got an evangelistic effort you know, you know, zealously occurring. And so the Lord's commandment to preach the good news to all people is happening. That's exactly what's going on. But the point is, in Antioch, in Antioch, they're not just taking it to the Jews alone. They're taking it to Hellenists. People living according to the Greek customs and the Greek culture. They took it to them as well. The Lord's church is meant to be diverse. And it's meant to be diverse because Christ, our Lord, Christ, our King, Christ, our Savior, unites all saved. He unites all saved into one people. One fellowship, one body, one family. No matter what their race, no matter what their ethnicity is, no matter what their nationality, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter in Christ. Because in Christ, we are one. As brought out in Galatians chapter 3, as Paul there is, is making the argument, now that we have Christ, now that faith is revealed... We're no longer on that, under that law. We're no longer under that tutor that, you know, that was to bring us to Christ. Now that Christ has come, now that faith is revealed, he says, we're all sons. We're all sons. What, what, what do you mean all sons? Well, that is, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, it doesn't matter. You know, whether, whether you are a slave or a free man, or whether you're a male or female, Verse 28 of Galatians 3, you're all one in Christ Jesus. The church in Antioch was a diverse church. It was evangelistic and it's diverse. But you go back to our text, you look a little further, you see also it was a blessed church. It says there in verse 21 that the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. Where Christians are gathered together, and where Christians are working together to, to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are promised, we are told that the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will be with us. God is with those who labor and live in Him. Take, for example, very quickly uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20. He says, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, those who have gathered together to carry out God's will, to carry out God's plan, God's command, he says, I am in their midst. 
You know, those who are united in the efforts to, for the cause of Christ, is, I am there with them. And that's exactly what's going on in Antioch. The hand of the Lord is with them. Or what, what the Apostle John writes over in 2 John verse, verse 9, where he says, the one who abides in the teaching, the one who keeps it, stays in it, upholds it, lives it, practices it, the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. That was the Antioch church. It was an evangelistic church. It was a diverse church. It was a church that was blessed by God. And as a result, it became an exemplary church. News about God's grace at work there, news about the number of believers increasing was noticed. And it was noticed by their brethren up in Jerusalem. And so... You know, the church in, in Jerusalem, you know, you know, sends a helper. But when you think about the idea of, of being exemplary, recall what Jesus you know, states, what he, you know, what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, you, you see, I need back up there. Went too far. Oh, let's go back. Sorry, y'all. You're looking at the PowerPoint, and I'm preaching a different point. So, when you look at, you know, back in, in, Matthew, in Matthew 5, 14, where Jesus says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, he's talking about being citizens of the kingdom, and the character of those citizens, those disciples, and how we illuminate for God. What you have in, in Matthew 5, 14, this statement is really being lived out by the church in Antioch. What is you have a church on a hill? It couldn't be hidden what was going on up in Antioch. And also it's like you know, in what Paul says over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, when he commends that church, he commends those Christians in the city of Thessalonica. It also was a young church, a growing church. And what he says there, he says, you know, you know, you have sounded the, the you have sounded forth, you've sounded out God's word so well in every place. Paul says, I don't need to say anything. I don't need to say, say anymore. You are preaching God's word in Macedonia and Kenya that we don't need to you know, say any more than what already has been said. You're doing the job well. And so as individuals and also as a congregation, we need to be that kind of light. We need to be lights that tr truly are noticed for the right reasons. And in turn, people glorifying God. And so like I say, so moving on to the next point, they were a welcoming church because they received Barnabas. You know, Barnabas was the son of encouragement. And he was sent to encourage this you know, young church, this you know, new congregation, encourage them to, uh, to be faithful, to encourage them to be steadfast because they were such a young church. Now, Barnabas may have known some of the brethren already. Yes, particularly those that had scattered out of Jerusalem. So Barnabas may have known some of the brothers or sisters you know, in that congregation. But what I would suggest to you, a larger number of the, that membership would not have known Barnabas. But they welcomed him anyway. 
They welcomed him because they saw him as a co-worker. A co-worker in the cause for Christ. To me, this illustrates you know, the, the concepts, the principles that are, that are brought out, for example, in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, where he says, Let the love of the brethren continue, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. To most of those brethren, Barnabas was a stranger. He was a stranger. He was a brother who was a stranger to them. But the church of Antioch welcomed him. They, they showed love. Love for their brother in Christ. They, they showed hospitality. They received him. It is also exemplified over in 3 John. John's third epistle, verses 5 through 8, we're talking about our brother Gaius. And what a fine brother that he was. And at a time when everyone was not being as supportive, you know, not being as receptive to you know, workers you know, and laborers in Christ, but Gaius was. You know, in, in the church where Gaius was, you know, you know, there was a brother that was being quite obstinate. But Gaius is commended. He's commended because of his love for the church and particularly uh, and how he sent out these co-workers verse 7 you, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner of worthy of God for they went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles and therefore we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth and that's exactly what Gaius did and that's what the church in Antioch did as well when Barnabas is sent up because the church in Jerusalem has taken note of, of the great work that's going on, they you know, hear Barnabas you know, shows, shows up on their doorstep and they receive him. I suggest to you that Barnabas proved to be such an asset to this church in Antioch partly because of the church. Because of the character of that church. The fact they were receptive and supportive of Barnabas. If they hadn't been receptive of him, if they hadn't been supportive with him, well then he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have made much headway, would he? But they were a welcoming church of fellow workers in the cause of Christ. At the same time, they were a forgiving church. We were told that, you know, Barnabas goes, he sees what's going on, he's, he's encouraging them, and then after a while, we don't know how long, he leaves Antioch and he goes to Tarsus to find Saul. And so, and so here, Barnabas has evaluated the needs of the congregation, he's evaluated the opportunities in Antioch, and he goes and gets Saul to bring him back to help him, to help him in evangelism, to help him in edification. But I want you to think about this. Do you remember why? Do you remember why the men of Cyprus and Cyrene left Jerusalem? Do you remember why? Do you remember who was at the helm of that persecution against the church in Jerusalem? Do you remember that? That's Saul. That's Saul. And that same Saul is brought back by Barnabas to the church in Antioch to work with some, those same men of Cyprus and Harim that fled Jerusalem because Paul was all part of Saul was all part of that. 
The very idea that Saul now, here in Acts 11, was working with and working among former Christians he had persecuted says a lot about the character of that church. It says a lot about the spiritual mindedness of those saints. Christ's likeness, as talked about in Ephesians 4, verse 32, Christ's likeness calls for kindness. It calls for forbearance. It calls for forgiveness. Even when it is hard to do. And there in Ephesians 4, it's talking about the brother relationship in the body of Christ. How we need to grow in these attributes so that we treat one another correctly and properly. And here in Antioch, they are demonstrating that. Not only did they receive Barnabas and support him in his labors as an asset to the cause of Christ in that city, but they also received Saul. And he says he, you know, he stayed there a year working with the church, and he taught considerable numbers. And it is there then that we're told that Christians, that is, disciples, excuse me, are now first called Christians in Antioch. You know, too often, you think about it, too often unforgiving attitudes are manifested among Christians today over such trivial matters. If these Christians can forgive Saul, who was converted to Christ, Surely we can forgive one another as well. But then finally, in Acts 11, the church was a benevolent church. Although you have this church busy with the labors of that city, spreading and teaching lost souls, busy about the congregation's work, a growing church, you think about the needs of that church escalating. Because the numbers are increasing so quickly, so rapidly, and how the need that you need to keep feeding that, you know, those, new, those, those babes in Christ, you need to be grounding them in the truth. You need to get them busy in the ministry of the Lord. All that's going on, and still this church did not isolate themselves from what was happening beyond their borders, especially to Christians in other places. And so when the church is informed by this prophet named Agabus about how, hey, there is a, a severe famine that's going to come on the world, not just a region, it's, it's going to hit the world. These babes in Christ, you know, at best, all the Christians were young, not necessarily chronologically, but young in the faith. And so you have these babes in Christ in Antioch. They seize this opportunity. And what do they do? They send relief to their brothers and sisters back in Judea. They grasp the privilege. They grasp the blessing to do good and help fellow Christians. And maybe even some that they didn't even know. We're told here in, in Acts chapter 11 how they, in the proportion that any of the disciples had means each of them determined to send a, you know, a contribution for their leave. He, he, you see this idea how every disciple decided for him and herself if they had the means and then they set their minds and their hearts to not neglect to do good. And so what's going on? What's going on is actually what Galatians 6 talks about. Let's do good to all men, especially to the household of faith. 
This was a thriving church. This was a growing church for all of these reasons. And so let's end with this question. Are we this kind of church? Are we a church whom God approves and commends like He does here in the book of Acts? If not, we can be. We can be this. If we set our minds and our hearts to be evangelistic, uh, uh, to, to understand diversity in the biblical sense, to, uh, to be an approved church and blessed by God, exemplary, welcoming, forgiving, and benevolent. We can be this if we put our minds and heart in the right direction. We walk and live by faith with a fervent zeal for God. What matters most is that God praises us. It doesn't matter what men say. What matters most is what God thinks about us and what God says about us. And so when the Lord examines us, what would He say? What would He say to us? Well, in the Christians in Antioch, in this ancient city of Antioch, well, they were busy about the Lord's business. And what was that? They were busy about preaching the Lord Jesus. And they were busy about turning believers to the Lord. And they were busy about encouraging one another and taking care of one another to be true to the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants us to do today in the year 2020, no matter what the challenges are. The needs have not changed. There are lost souls dying outside this building. And we need to be busy about the Lord's business. We are told that disciples of Christ are called Christians. But to be a disciple of Christ, we must hear the word of the Lord and abide in His teaching. Are you a disciple? Are you a true Christian? One who has committed this life of faith and obedience to Him? If not, we want to encourage you to do that. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, you truly believe that, and you believe that He is the Son of God, then why not today make that commitment, confess that with your mouth before others unashamedly, repent of the sins of your past, and be buried with baptism. God will cleanse you. God will wash away your sins because Jesus is the atonement for us all. And you'll be raised to walk a new life and to become the kind of person and the kind of member of a, of a body of Christ as described in Acts chapter 11. If you are a Christian, but there's sin in your life that you've not corrected and you've not turned from, if we can assist you any way today to pray with you and encourage you, we invite you as well. Make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.